Well, as George Clooney perceptively asks in that clip from Up in the Air, how much did they first pay you to give up on your dream? It's a question lots of people can understand. We all have dreams, dreams of becoming French culinary chefs, careers we want to pursue, talents we want to develop. Somewhere deep inside, everyone has a dream, like Entangled. <laughs> know that scene from Tangled? Way down deep, all these vicious henchmen have dreams. Toll would like to quit and be a florist. Gunter does interior design. Earth is into mime. Attila's cupcakes are sublime. Bruiser knits, killer sews, Venda's little puppet shows, and Vladimir collects ceramic unicorns. <laughs> Ding! I could keep singing, too, by the way. I have dreams like you. No, really, just let's, let's touchy-feely. Anyway. Everybody has a dream, right? But then life happens. We, yeah, my dream. <laughs> Sing on stage. Um, but then life happens. We have to provide. We have to get a job. And, and, and jobs are good, especially when they put food on the table. But it does raise the question, what do we do with our dreams in the meantime? Do we hang them up forever? Do we wait until we get our dream job in heaven? Or, when given the opportunity, like being fired by George Clooney, you know, do we go for it? That's what I want to talk about with you this morning. What do we do with the dreams that we once dreamed but are now boxed up in a closet somewhere? And I want to talk to you about this because it relates to our series. We just started a new series last week called Faith at Work. And this series is just a very practical series about how, uh, what it means to approach our jobs, what it means to approach our professions as Christians. For those of us who are Christ followers, and, and even for those of us who aren't Christ followers, if you're not a Christ follower here this morning, this is still something you need to understand as you are investigating Christianity. For those of us who are Christ followers, our faith should impact and affect every part of who we are, including uh, our work, our jobs. Last week, we kicked off the series by laying down some theological groundwork about work. As we learn in Scripture, God created us to work. God created us to enjoy using our hands, using our brains, to, to help form the earth and to care for the earth and to build his kingdom here on earth. Because of sin, though, because of the introduction of sin into creation, fruitful work became pointless toil. Work became toil. Now work is more exhausting than exhilarating. Now work is more pointless than productive. God is still committed to helping us learn the joy of productive labor, though. He wants to restore to us the joy of work, certainly in heaven, but even here on earth. And that's what this, this series is all about. How do we experience the joy of divine work here on earth? And one of the ways that God wants to restore to us the joy of productive work is by reconnecting us to our dreams. Those professional dreams we all have are more often than not, they are God-given. The Bible teaches that each of us is a creature, we have been formed lovingly by God, we are each given unique talents, gifts, experiences, desires that he wants to use to bring about his kingdom on earth. And as we discover and as we pursue those desires, we actually experience a greater level of spiritual fulfillment and we make a more lasting impact in the world and the further and further away we get from those, dream, from those dreams, uh, the more spiritually frustrated we become and the more of a mess we make in the world. This makes sense, right? 
I mean, if we're all created as tools of God with different functions, we're happier when we're performing the job for which we were created. Hammers are happiest when they're banging in nails. You look in their little hammer hearts. They're full of happy. So I'm happy. Saws are happiest when they're cutting boards. Hammers are not happy when they're banging in screws. Uh, saws aren't happy when they're banging in nails. It doesn't work. In fact, you make just one big mess. Same thing with people. We're all tools. We've been given, we've been created for a, a certain task. And we make a big mess when we're not pursuing our task. One of the greatest and most important assignments of life is to discover what kind of tool we are and to put ourselves in sort of a position where we can do the job we were created to do. As Paul writes in the book of Romans, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, get this, get, this is crazy. This is crazy. Listen to this. If a man's gift is serving, let him serve. Duh, right? If it is teaching, radical, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul's radically simple notion here is that we should serve according to how we have been gifted. We should do well what we have been given to do well. And we should not do things that we were not created to do. The Christian word for this is a very important word. The Christian word for this is actually vocation. Vocation. <laughs> and, and when you hear the word vocation, you might think of uh, that it means job. And it kind of does mean job. The word vocation means job. But it's actually a much fuller, richer, more important word. Uh, the word vocation is actually an old Christian word. And it comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means calling. Your vocation is your calling. And the church has always believed in the importance of vocation. The church has always believed that, that God actually has callings, different sorts of callings for people. Traditionally, the church has understood there to be three different types of calling. The call to salvation, first. God calls everyone. Oh, God calls everyone to be saved, to be forgiven of your sins. Secondly, the church believes that and the Bible teaches that uh, there's a call to sanctification, the call to be changed and transformed, the call to live a holy, righteous life. But thirdly, uh, the church has understood there to be a, a specific calling, a call to service, a call to servanthood. God calls people to serve him in specific ways. Now, what's really interesting here, though, is that for many, many, many centuries, and since the, the creation of the Bible, uh, the church has believed that the call to salvation, sanctification applies to everybody. We're all called to be saved. We're all called to be sanctified. But the call to service applies to a certain subset of people. People called to certain religious forms of vocation. God calls certain people to be monks. God calls certain people to be priests. God calls certain people to be pastors and evangelists. The rest of y'all just stay saved. Just stay saved. And, you know, make life easy for us <laughs> as people called by God to serve professionally. That's how the church has generally understood the call to servanthood, that it applied to a certain subset of people. Something really important and interesting happened, though, during the time of the Protestant Reformation, back in the 1500s. 
the notion of calling, the notion of vocation got expanded. People like Martin Luther pointed out that, that limiting the idea of, of calling uh, to certain religious professions, it's just another way of religious people sort of maintaining control over, over other people. And the reformers also noticed that the Bible really does say that every person created by God has been endowed with gifts and talents and passions of a variety of kinds, not just priests, not just pastors. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, now the body is not made up of one part, but many. As he asks later, are all apostles? Are all, apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Those are all rhetorical questions, but what's the answer? No. In other words, God gives lots of people a variety of gifts, passions, and abilities. Everybody has a calling. God gives everyone a dream of how he might use them to serve the world. Now, these dreams, they are multitudinous. They are diverse. No two dreams look alike, but they all have the same purpose. To serve others with the love of Jesus. Inasmuch as God has given you gifts, and talents, and passions, and dreams, the purpose for which he gave you those things was to serve the world with the love of Jesus. As Peter writes in his letter, each one should use whatever gift he has received not to make money, not to achieve status, not even to find happiness, but to serve others with the love of Jesus. God gives everyone a calling, a dream, to serve others with our God-given gifts. Now, some of us are doing that. Some of us have embraced this idea of vocation. Uh, we are pouring our lives out in the exercise of our calling to build God's kingdom here on earth in, in lots of ways. I'm thinking, for example, of a good rooftop friend of mine, a guy named Rob Weisler. Uh, you might know Rob. Rob's been here forever. Rob's a physics teacher. And a long time ago, Rob was actually teaching physics at this posh county high school until he felt called. And he took a job teaching physics to inner-city students. They were struggling to find qualified teachers. He said, well, I can do that. So he served those students and got involved in the community. Or I'm thinking of somebody else, another rooftop friend of mine, uh, a lady named Geraldine Aarons. Maybe you know Geraldine Aarons. Woo! Uh, Gerald and Aarons, you might not know this about Gerald and Aarons. She was actually trained as a physician's assistant. Gerald and Aarons is super smart medically. She could be out in the world making boo-coo bucks. As a pastor looking at budgets, I wouldn't necessarily mind that. <laughs> but what did she do? She felt called to use her medical training to foster special needs children. So that's what she did. Or I'm thinking of another uh, non-rooftop friend of mine, a guy named Steve Crafton. Steve runs a local pest control company here. Steve's a friend of mine, so sorry for the shameless plug, but it's 24-7 pest control for all your pest control needs. 24-7pestcontrol.com. Now, pest control, I don't know if you have a, a, a bug guy, but it's dirty work, right? You're spraying chemicals and digging animals out of attics and stuff. It is dirty work, but Steve, this is remarkable. Steve does it with joy. He does it with joy as a way of loving his neighbors, and he uses his profits to support his church down the street and uh, help fund the Afton Christian Food Pantry. God is a calling for everyone, a calling to use whatever gifts you have, whatever gifts you have, pest control gifts, to build the kingdom. What's yours? 
What's your dream? Do you even know? If you do know, what's the status? Did you hang it up? How much did they first pay to give up on your dream? It's easy to drift from our dreams, right? It's easy to get busy staying busy, which is understandable. We all have lives to live. It's not like our dreams just fall into our laps, you know, but that's not the way to spiritual fulfillment, and it's certainly not what we were created for. So with the time I have left this morning, I want to talk real practical. I want to talk really practically to you. I want to share with you three keys to having a successful vocation. Three keys to having a successful vocation. And this message is brought to you this morning by the letter L. And for the record, it's actually been a long time since I have employed the gifts of the letter L. The letter L actually, this is crazy, the letter L pulled me aside last week and said, hey Matt, I got gifts. You're always using S and P and C. Come on, give me some love. Said, I see what you did there, letter L. <laughs> so anyway, this morning's lesson brought to you by letter L. Uh, three keys to having a successful vocation. First, locate your calling. Learn your calling. And live your calling. I just did one, two, three with my fingers, but maintained the letter L with my thumb and my <laughs> index finger. Letter L, where have you been my whole life? <laughs> First, locate your calling. In order to have a successful vocation, we have to first locate how and where God is calling us to serve him. Like I said, all God's people are called to salvation and sanctification. We are all called by God to be forgiven of our sins, to receive the gift of eternal life, and to be changed and transformed, sanctified. That's what the word sanctified means, be made holy. Uh, On top of that, we are called to servanthood, in particular ways, servanthood, First and foremost, to our loved ones and family. And this is actually very important, and I want to take a moment to talk about it. Because one of the biggest mistakes that people can sometimes make in life is getting so excited about identifying their calling that they neglect more immediate, more obvious, but maybe less glamorous callings like serving spouses and children. But let me be real clear here. If you're... If you have a family, your primary service to the kingdom is to love, serve, and protect those people. Before God calls us into dream jobs, he calls us into everyday service for loved ones. There's a verse that we talk about with uh, new leaders here at Rooftop, and it actually applies. The Apostle Paul tells his student, Timothy, he tells him this, a leader must manage his household well. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church? Now that's for church leaders, but it really reflects an important point for everybody. If you're a husband, your primary calling is to love and care for your wife. If you're a wife, your primary calling is to love and care for your husband. If you're a parent, your primary calling is to love and care for your children. If you're a child, your primary calling is to love and care and honor your parents. Those aren't obligations. Those are vocations. Those are callings. Those are privileges. This is something I learned from my dad. Uh, My dad uh, worked for Boeing 
for 45 years. He had nothing to do with the planes that keep crashing. <laughs> uh, he actually helped design the F-15 Eagle fighter jet for 45 years. He worked on the F-15. Sometimes I would actually ask him, Dad, are you ever going to finish the F-15? It's been 45 years. I have a theory that he like wrapped it up 30 years ago and he's just been in a closet like making paper airplanes. <laughs> now that sounds like a pretty cool job, right? Make, make fighter jets. Um, but he'll tell you that his dream of building airplanes became just a job pretty quickly. These things wear off. But what did he do when that happened? When the shimmer lost its shine? What did he do? Did he quit? Go find a sexier job? No. He got up and went to work because he knew his vocation. He had a family to care for. That was the dream. Now, having said that, he will also tell you he was lucky enough, blessed enough to at least do something close to what he loved doing. And, and, and what's great is that even as the excitement of building fighter jets wore off, and it did, he still loved using what he had been created to do to serve his family. I will tell you, I never saw my dad happier than I did when I went to him to ask for help with my math homework. <laughs> That's when his love of math and his love of engineering sort of uh, got to line up perfectly with his love of family. That's when he got to finally use what God had given him to do to serve his loved ones. But he's always, my dad is always looking for ways to employ his gifts to serve his family. Like, for example, whenever we uh, go on a trip anywhere, my dad makes these maps that are, uh, he could have been a cartographer. He makes these maps that you look at them, they look like the electrical innards of an F-15. Like they've got routes and distances and landmarks and scales and alternate routes. He did it on graph paper that he like pulled out of his, his, with slide rules. None of us in our family like have the courage to tell him, Dad, we have maps on our phones. <laughs> and these maps are perfect. They actually tell you where to go, exa where exactly you are. None of us have like had the courage to tell him because he gets so excited about making these maps. I actually think this is key when it comes to locating our vocation and our calling. Because one of the things we have to do to locate our calling is to notice what sort of service brings us the deepest joy. Doing math problems with his children made my dad profoundly happy. It's like Eric Little, the old uh, Scottish track star and subject of the movie Chariots of Fire back from the 80s, as he said, Eric Little said, he said, God made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Now there's a lot to talk about when it comes to locating your calling, but one of the most important components of this is being able to identify that, being able to identify what it is that allows you to feel God's pleasure. In fact, fill in the blanks here. How would you fill in these blanks? God made me when I... I feel God's pleasure. When I pray, I feel God's pleasure. When I cook, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm spending time with my children, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm down working with the homeless, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm loving my wife, I feel God's pleasure. How, how would you fill in that blank? One of the first keys to having a successful vocation is being able to fill in that blank there. Locate your calling. Secondly, 
Learn your calling. What I mean here is that our calling is something that we need to practice. God doesn't give us talents and skills that are fully formed. God gives us aptitude. God gives us potential. It's up to us to decide if we want to develop that God-given potential. The more we learn how to use our gifts, the more useful we are to God. The sharper blade in the block is the one that the butcher pulls to cut through the toughest cut of meat. The longer, straighter arrow is the one the archer pulls to get the tougher target. You gotta make yourself useful to God for those tough assignments. One of my favorite books in the New Testament is Paul's first letter to Timothy. Timothy was a a young pastor who had been assigned to pastor a church in the ancient Roman city of Ephesus. Now, this church in Ephesus was just a mess, a mess with um, uh, false teaching and crazy people. And Timothy was this young guy. He was basically a pastoral intern in charge of this crazy church all by himself. On the way through Ephesus, Paul kind of like kicked him out of the car and said, okay, that's your church. I gotta go. And, and Paul, and there weren't any seminaries back then or anything to go to. It's not like Timothy could like sign up for, a, you, know, a, a, you know, how to be a pastor of a crazy church class somewhere. So knowing this, Paul actually writes him a letter, his first letter to Timothy. It didn't go over so well, so we had to write the second letter to Timothy. <laughs> but in the first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul writes with a very simple message to him, to Timothy. He says, don't give up. Do not let your inexperience and frustration with how this is going make you quit and stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. Figure it out. Learn how to do it. Show your congregation how committed you are to developing your gifts so that they might be inspired to develop theirs. As Paul writes in chapter 4, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everybody everybody may see your progress. Basically, Paul says, I know, I know you have no idea what you're doing. But figure it out. Learn how to do it. Progress. Christians are those who progress. Just because you know what God's given you to do doesn't mean you're good at it. Large lumps of clay still need forming. Sharp minds still need filling. We believe that here at Rooftop, which is why we try to be a learning church, a learning community. You know, there are teaching hospitals downtown. They call them teaching hospitals. They don't call them learning hospitals because that would scare the patients. (laughs) Now we're going to do this on you, see how it goes, learn what we can. We'll see if you come out the other side. But we're not ashamed. I mean, we're a learning community. We want to learn how to do things better, and we want to help you learn how to do things better. When when people apply for something here, they apply for a position, or they apply for a staff position, uh, and we got to turn them down, we'll actually sit down with them and say, well, here's here's what you need to work on, here's here's how some opportunities for you, and we want to help you you get there. When, When someone, like, applies to sing on the worship team, and we have to tell them no, you know, sometimes they get a little upset, uh, You know, let's say, but I was born to sing. When I sing, I feel God's pleasure. And Pastor Jason, he's like, well, that's interesting. Because when you sing, I don't know what it is I'm feeling. (laughs) But it's not God's pleasure. No, Jason doesn't say that. (laughs) 
Jason doesn't say that. Jason and the audition committee, they do exactly what they need to do. First, they will affirm whether or not this is a gift because there's a lot of people who think they have gifts that they do not have. Right? We need some objective feedback about this sort of thing. But if, if it is a gift, they'll say, you have potential here. And here's how you need to grow. Here, you need harmonies, your rhythm. These are the things you need to work on. Let's check in in six months, 12 months to see your progress. If you know your vocation, grow in it. Show God that you're serious about getting better at what he's given you to do. And, and if you don't do that, don't complain that God never, give, never gives you any tough assignments. Why would he? That knife has a lot of potential, but can't cut it here. There are learning opportunities all around you, right? School. It's one of the things I love about this country. This country, I love this country. There's learning opportunities here. There's schools, internships, mentorships, uh, resources. Show God he made a good choice in calling you as he did. Locate your calling. Learn your calling. Lastly, live your calling. What I mean is put it into practice. If you know your vocation, and if you're getting better at your vocation, employ it wherever and however you can. And just because this needs to be said, this might not be as a full-time job, right? Here in America, we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled to think that it's sort of, sort of our human right to be able to do what we love to do and get paid well to do it. I love 17th century Indo-Australian um, literature, and I want to do that for a living, and I want to get paid well to do it. It doesn't work. But, but it, even, even in the church, I mean, we have this sort of belief that, that we should be able to get to do for a living what God has called us to do and get paid to do it. Now, I actually believe that that's God's long-term vision for us, that, that in, in heaven we'll, like, get to, we'll get to specialize. We'll get to do what we've always dreamed of doing, like forever and be taken care of while we do it. But, I mean, you know as well as I do, we're not quite to heaven yet. It is the very rare person who gets to do their dream job here on earth. I once heard from a conference speaker that if you get to do, like, if you get to spend 40% of your job doing what you like to do, count yourself blessed. 40% of your job. Because that's about where the happiest employees top out in terms of how much of what they do they enjoy doing. For so many of us, in order to do what we love to do, we have to do a whole bunch of stuff we don't like to do. But that's, in a way, sort of a test of how committed we are to doing what we want to do. I mean, the Apostle Paul was bivocational. The Apostle Paul made tents for a living so that he could preach the gospel. Pastor Jason got up here with a guitar. In the early days of Rooftop, he worked 50, 60, 70 hours a week in a schnooks warehouse because we didn't have money to pay him as a worship pastor. But he worked his tail off in a warehouse so that he could come lead us in worship for free on the weekend. The realities of life don't always make it easy to exercise our vocation, but for the sake of the kingdom, and if we're really committed to this, we have to try on the side, on weekends, on lunch breaks. I mean, if the Lord gives you a chance to do what you love to do for a living, then by all means go for it. But if not, don't let that stop you. The kingdom will be worse for it, and we'll regret it. And I mean that. We'll regret it. In the worst way, in fact, we'll regret it. Let me close by sharing a story with you this morning. 
A story you actually might recognize, you probably do. A lot of us have heard it since we were kids on flannel graphs. But it, once you hear the story, it's actually a kind of scary story. We just don't like to think about that. And if you're doing the Lenten Bible Challenge with us, you've actually read it a couple times because it's in Luke and Matthew. But it's the story, it's the parable of the talents. Now in the story, Jesus tells us this parable about um, a wealthy master who has lots of money. He has lots of talents. And back then, the word talent was actually a, a word in reference to a, a, a unit, a monetary unit, which makes it really easy to apply because the word talent became, a, uh, became used to describe talents and gifts and abilities. So it's a parable of the talents. talents. So this is wealthy uh, master who has lots of talents. And he, and he gives, he, he's going on a trip, he's going on a business trip. So he wants three of his servants to come, just take charge of his talents for a while to see what they can do with the talents. Calls one of his servants here. He says, hey, I'm going to give you five talents. Do what you can with them. Calls another servant. Hey, I'm going to give you two talents. See what you can do with them. He, here's another, calls the other guy. Here's one talent. See what you can do with them. Master goes away. Master comes back. And he has an accounting. Calls them in one by one to find out what they did. And you know the story. Calls the guy in with the five talents. Says, hey, how'd you do? The guy says, well, not bad. I invested them. I made five more talents. Pretty good, right? So now you have ten. And the master's overjoyed. He's over the moon. Like, Good job, servant. Come enjoy your master's happiness. Hey, give this guy more talents. To whom who has will be given more. That's what it says. And he calls the guy in with the two talents. Hey, how'd you do? The guy says, well, I, I invested them and made two more talents. So now I got four. Here you go. Good job. Give this guy some more talents. And then he calls in the guy to whom he had given one talent. He says, hey, how'd you do with that one talent? And the guy's like, oh. Well, master... You see, I, I know that you're a, you're a tough guy, and you're, you can be mean. You can be, you can be scary. And I really didn't want to upset you. I really didn't want to lose your talent. So here's what I did. I buried it. Buried it. But I didn't lose it, and here it is. Here's your talent. Master, not pleased at all. Do you know what he does? He sends him to hell. He sends him to hell. Here's what he says. You wicked, lazy servant for protecting my money. You wicked, lazy servant. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has the ten talents, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a not-so-veiled reference to hell. Now, this seems kind of harsh. Just me. <laughs> this seems kind of harsh. But one of Jesus' points here is that our talents and our gifts aren't ours. They're God's. We were given them by him to do his work. Those dreams that we have of, of what sort of difference we might make in the world, those dreams aren't ours. They're God's, given to us to do important work. And to not use our gifts in pursuit of those dreams is a crime against God. And he will punish his servants most severely. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. The talents, the passions you have in life are not yours. Now, I know that is a lot of pressure to leave you with this morning. Find your vocation or go to hell. 
I mean, the sermon started out so positive. Follow your dreams. And if you don't, then you'll burn in hell forever. I mean, that's one way to, to end a sermon. But the severity of the parable should cue us into the fact that this is something Jesus feels very strongly about. Our, our gifts are on loan to us from God to do incredibly important work. He gives them to us so that we might serve the world. When he returns, and as a reminder, he will. When he returns, he will ask for an accounting of what we did with his talents. What are we going to tell him? Now, there is an important note of grace in this story, though. I want to leave you with a little bit up. The master makes it clear that he would much prefer his servants to invest their talents and fail than not investing them at all. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he is ready and eager to forgive us our mistakes when we try stuff that doesn't work. He knows that living out our vocations, following our dreams, takes risk, and he's okay with that. He's ready to work with us. He's ready to forgive. Thank God for that, right? God is ready and eager to forgive our vocational mistakes. And in pursuit of our dreams, we will all make many vocational mistakes. What he's not ready to do is forgive us for not trying for not risking. He didn't give us the profound abilities he did so that we could bury them in the ground. The work of the kingdom is just too important for that. So that's what the Bible has to say about calling and vocation. You have one. Everybody has one. And it's important. It's as important as what I do. And what I do is really important, and what you do is just as important. Everybody has a calling. Locate your calling. Learn your calling. Live your calling. See what the Lord wants to do through you as you use what he gave you to serve the world with the love of Jesus. Come back next week and we will talk more. Pastor Jacob will be talking to us about learning to work for horrible buses. I know that's something that a lot of people have to deal with. Hopefully Pastor Jacob is not one of them, but we will find out next week. So, so let's pray. Father, thank you for the sternness of your son who was very clear that not using your gifts to do your work is a serious crime against you as our master. Uh, you do not necessarily promise to grant us success in life as we exercise our calling, but you do promise to reward us if we try. And you also promise to forgive us as we fail. Following our dreams takes incredible risk, but for the sake of the kingdom, I pray that you give us courage and give us opportunities. I'm blessed to do your work, your kingdom work for a living. Not everybody is. Some of them have to do it on weekends. Some of them have to do it on lunch breaks. So give us all courage and opportunity and wisdom as we live in pursuit of those dreams. Thank you for son, Jesus, who, whose call we want to respond to this morning.
pray these things in his name and by the power of your Holy Spirit.